Uh, welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. And this week we are we are getting around to the subject of NFTs. It's our first podcast where we're talking about non-fungible tokens, um, and we will be getting into some depth with them. Um, but to take us through some of that, we have um, Canada-listed Network Media Group on the podcast today. And with us is Trevor Treeweek, who's Director of Capital Markets there. And we also have Tom Lombardi, who is the uh, resident NFT expert um, at Network Media Group. He's president of Network NFT Studios and a longtime participant in the NFT markets and also um, lectures on digital assets at um, Pepperdine University. So he'll be giving us a bit more of the inside track there. To start off with, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Stuart. Give us a rundown on Network Media Group, um, if you could, Trevor. Network Media Group is a a Vancouver-based company. Uh, It's been public since about 2009. We trade on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NTE, and we trade on the OTC under NETWF. Network Media Group focuses on creating factual documentaries and documentary series. They really take cultural icons and pop culture icons from, you know, music, movies, comedy, and sports. And they build feature documentaries and documentary series on these icons, and they bring them out to a global, global audience. So some of the major uh, productions that, you know, network you may have seen on, you know, Crave or Paramount or, or on your TV are some of the feature films like I Am Heath Ledger or I Am Patrick Swayze, perhaps even I Am Chris Farley. And really what they're doing is they're using A-list talent and friends and family to talk about these major prolific pop culture icons and they're telling their story and they're getting it out there. And so the company uh, has an award rip, award-winning reputation for building what they call as premium content and that's content that's produced at the highest level. And what, what that in return has attracted is attracted uh, some of the largest streaming uh, partners that that want to be in business with networks. So that's, so that's what they do is they create feature documentaries, feature documentary series. They have an award-winning reputation for, for doing it. And in return, it's attracted the premier streaming uh, platforms to be in business with network. The key to success with a business like this um, and getting access to these people is obviously... I mean, I'll use the word network, but really it is a network here where, you know, the the management team there is very well connected at various levels in the music industry, entertainment, professional sports as well. Yeah, Stuart. So, I mean, you bring up a good point. Uh, The business was founded um, by our CEO, Derek Murray. You know, it's really an interesting business in general where Derek has been in the entertainment business uh, his entire career. Uh, he started out as a commercial photographer and worked his way up and did advertising and, and um, some, other, some other film productions for CBC. But the point being is, you know, he wasn't born in Hollywood. Um, you know, this was an area he grew up in and, and really he's, he's carved out a niche and he's gone into that business not having any relationships and built the relationships. And the reason Derek has been so successful at doing so is one, he's incredibly creative, he's, a, he's, he's brilliant, he's a mastermind at it, but he's really focused on quality and quality uh, production, but also quality storytelling. And so he's really gone in there and worked, again, our, our, fir- our first feature film was called Facing Ali. That was sort of Derek's ticket to Hollywood. He knew he had to make a big grandstand and it was shortlisted for an Academy Award. 
So that was a film where they were working with the Muhammad Ali family um, as the iconic IP holder. And they were going out there and telling the story of Muhammad Ali through, you know, his friends and his foes, you know, Joe Frazier and, and some of the other people he was challenging in the ring. And so again, Derek just artfully masterminded that story. It was a success. It was a big success. And of course, when you have success like that, it begets, um, you know, more success. People are interested in what are you doing next? What else is coming down the pike? What, what else do you want to talk about? Um, what other films and, and whatnot? So that's Derek Murray in a nutshell. He's, uh, you know, he's a brilliant mastermind. Again, it's really about focusing on the, on the quality side of it. And coming around to NFTs, obviously some people uh, listening to this will be very familiar with what they are, but there'll be others who've only heard about them in passing. Um, it's still a very, very new market, but um, in terms of the way some of the assets in it have appreciated in value, um, certainly spectacular. So, Tom, can you can you give us a quick uh, a quick summary of of what an NFT is for those who maybe have only heard the name but don't really know what what one what one looks like? A quick summary. I'm going to have to stretch this out a little bit because I think there's some context here that we should that we should lay before. So um, we do want to think about cycles of technology, right? So we have a new com computing wave every like 10 to 15 years, right? 50s, 60s, main, mainframes, 70s, 80s, PC, Betamax, you know, through the 90s, we had DVDs and game consoles. It really wasn't until we, uh, the advent of mobile phones, you know, again, only mobile phones, the iPhone's only 15 years old. You know, it's crazy to think how far we've come since, right? So I think it's uh, I think you sort of have to use an imagination as to what the next 15 years can hold. But, you know, now we're in this sort of this new paradigm of Internet streaming, social media, gameplay. And what we have is we have these huge engagements and these huge content streams. But really, we don't have a mechanism for for ownership or for uh, value transfer. Right. Because, yes, we're dealing with large tech companies and. They've you know, driven down prices for apps and emails, but they also act as gatekeepers, not just gatekeepers, but also enabling that peer-to-peer -peer interaction, but you know, extracting rents from it. And so uh, we've seen increases in peer-to-peer -peer interactions, uh, certainly with cryptocurrencies, uh, allowing value to flow seamlessly around the globe. It's expanded into decentralized finance, where we have things like options and derivatives. But at the base of it, now we have this database that can scale across the world. Um, it's not Dropbox or Facebook or YouTube holding on to you know, the keys of our, of our money or the keys of our videos. We can use NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, to assign essentially property ownership on the internet. So you know, what, is that, what does that mean? So... Currently, we have things like images and files that are just copy pasted across servers. Where does the ownership lie? It's really the it's the uh, possession, right? And 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 whoever possesses these pieces of content essentially own them, even if they're duplicated. We now, by using a new data structure called a blockchain, we can track the ownership of a digital item. You know, be it Bitcoin, be it cryptocurrency, but now we can assign ownership just like cryptocurrency to art, to music, to video, to any sort of digital interaction. 
And so crypto struggled with financial regulation and inclusion and all of these tech support. But you know, NFTs, I think, are the Trojan horse to blockchain technology because it makes it accessible and understandable to billions of people. So happy to you know, kind of jump into some of the growth verticals and where it's going. But essentially, I would think of the broad concept, NFTs enable digital property ownership on the internet. And, and yes, well, you mentioned the fact that the, that market is growing very rapidly because a couple of years ago, it was virtually non-existent and uh, we've covered it on our website as well. And um, it has expanded spectacularly. Can you say a little bit about what's powering that growth and, and who's buying it? Who are the who are the early adopters? And, and do you see this becoming a, a market that will become more mature? Again, I'll, I'll also back up before getting into kind of the NFT applications. Um, we do have to think about, you know, collectibles. That's an easy one, right? So early days, people were collecting beads and shells and animal teeth. And, 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 and then we got into, you know, uh, baseball cards and vintage guitars and, and antique cars, right? These are, these, are, these are sort of social consensus that comes together and says, hey, these things are rare. And these things are popular. And so it's not just the item uh, and the physical utility of that thing that makes it interesting. It's also this social construct of being the pride of ownership and having a, a cultural connection with these collectibles rather than just gold coins in a, in a vault, right? And so the, the early application for NFT uh, you know, I call it the JPEG, but uh, essentially is digital arts. We have artists out there that are creating arts on a digital canvas. And by using the blockchain, we're able to assign a record of ownership back to that creator directly. So this, you know, this, I say, you know, grew, it ballooned uh, in 2021. And we now, you know, we have marketplaces like OpenSea. It, it, uh, created manic type of speculation um, because it was something new, but it was also authentic. So we saw a lot of just random digital art. Um, we had some sort of traditional artists make runs at it, but really what really kickstarted the, the movement were these profile pick collections. So one of 10,000, I own a CryptoPunk, but you've also heard of Board Ape Yacht Club. Where, where these are different than just digital art. These are also digital communities. And so by owning one, there's a social consensus, let's go back to that concept, of being a part of something bigger than just you sitting in your office behind a Zoom camera, right? And that flourished. And not only did it flourish, but in terms of activity, but it also created this view into the future of what it could enable and that's when capital was allocated in, in, in an enormous way and we saw you know, vast speculation. Um, so that's the very basic come to market, if you will, for NFTs. But, and we've seen a few other experiments, but we're uh, kind of leading into this, you know, we're a Canadian company and you know, to take Wayne Gretzky's line, you know, we, we are definitely um, skating to where the, the puck is going and not, and not where it is. So we're looking certainly down the road for, for different applications. So here we have like this this rapidly emerging market of NFTs. And then we have um, uh, Network Media Group with its 
its connections and its existing track record um, making documentaries about um, high-profile celebrities. So what, what was the rationale that made Network decide to get into, into the NFT market and why set up this subsidiary that you're running, Tom? NFTs, documentaries, movies, TV, art, music, it all fits into you know, content. And, and, and one of our headlines in, in our theme of investing is we are part of the content revolution. You know, one thing I was thinking about the other day is around, you know, a lot of these like platforms we talk about, like social media or, you know, is it, is it TikTok this week? Is it, is it going to be something different? Um, and, and even with blockchain, you're hearing a lot of newcomers and early access, but these things come and go and they change. But what won't change is the IP of iconic movies and individuals. Muhammad Ali is just, you know, he's the greatest boxer ever and, and nothing's going to change that, right? So when you think about the way that the world is moving and changing so quickly, these large brands and these celebrated stories, they won't change. And so content will flourish no matter what technology enables, suppresses, uh, decentralizes. And so with, with Network Media Group, Network Entertainment, working with uh, these top of class uh, groups and uh, celebrities and sports titles and icons and teams, it's a natural fit for us to look at more modern applications for intellectual property. Um, so it fits under the content revolution. But second, when I think about what, what makes for a successful NFT project, some of the basics today is uh, a storytelling, right? Telling a story that's deeper than just what's, you know, what's on the JPEG. That is very popular and attractive today. Two, it's around art and around production and creativity of composing the media. Uh, that's something within NFTs that's celebrated as well. And then lastly, it's around you know, global distribution, right? How do we get... How do we distribute this content around the world? We're doing it with documentaries, but now we have this NFTs as digital property ownership on the internet. And so those key pillars of success for NFTs, that's exactly, uh, that's also the success factors for producing you know, documentaries and series. It may seem like a bit of a stretch from the outside, but uh, when we get down to the foundation of how fans will interact with new media, then there's tons of synergies. And we're already seeing that with our, our Hockey Hall of Fame partnership. Yes, I was going to get onto that, in fact, because um, one area we have seen a lot of activity with NFTs has been in the professional sports space. Um, you've mentioned the fact that um, Network Entertainment has made a documentary about Muhammad Ali. We've seen a lot of publicity around these... Um, NFT collections being launched by the likes of, uh, so the Ferrari team in Formula One, um, the NBA has has um, started to get active in this. Is this something like the old sort of baseball trading card market that used to exist? Or are we talking about, but just brought forward to the 21st century? Or are we talking about something a bit more profound here? It's it's both. It's an extension of baseball cards, right? It's, an, it's you know, sort of you know, those trading collectibles 2.0, right? So back to the root of the question, right? Where sports, you know, if we, if we think about like 
people wear t-shirts all day, right? And the t-shirts have brands. And what does the brand do? It's a reflection of your interest or your, or your aspirations. That is alive and well in sports. We love sports and it's so fun, but there's also this, this social and cultural dynamic of celebrating your favorite sport, your favorite team, your favorite player outside of, of the game and, and being a fan and being a part of that, right? That's so, so with, with, with NFTs, some of the things like what Dapper Labs is doing with Top Shots, it's wonderful because it's a, it's, it's a celebration of the game of basketball and it gives people a digital format to show their commitment to their team and their support. And so it's no different than buying, you know, your favorite player's jersey. But now that we spend most of our time, you know, hopefully you get out on the weekends, but we spend most of our time, you know, behind computers and in digital environments, and that's not going to decrease, right? So these digital forms of showing support and showing your commitment to sports uh, is happening on the internet. And so NFTs enable us to not just be involved in these sort of games and, and, and merchandise, which I think, you know, NBA Top Shots takes more of an approach, but now we can start digitizing history and collectibles and the legends of sports and photography, rare photography that predates, you know, major sports leagues. Like now we can assign ownership to these assets um, and we can uh, we can monetize them. So there's a sort of theme that we latch onto as well is where like where culture meets finance. People collect vintage guitars because they have value, they could grow in value, but likely they're probably guitar players or they probably celebrate music. And so NFTs provide an excellent extension of that celebration, but also ownership with ownership creates this endowment effect, right? This endowment effect is I own something, so I'm going to know a lot more about it. Or I own something and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to share, share it with my friends and share it. So with NFTs in this digital format, instead of sharing that passion with your friends in your living room, I can share my passion with 7 billion people on the internet through my social accounts. So it just allows you to scale that cultural experience you've uh you guys have just uh, announced a partnership with the hockey hall of fame based in toronto which is um for those outside north america that's the ice hockey hall of fame can you can you tell us a little bit more about what that involves what that looks like and and how you see that evolving um we we made our announcement last week which we're so proud of we've been working on for a while we have not disclosed the 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 the, the details of the of the entire program. It's a two, it's a two year project working on multiple fan experiences in the form of NFTs in the form of, you know, real life experiences, but we're definitely taking a much, much more holistic approach than just dropping a JPEG on the market and have, have people flipping by. So kind of revert back, um, network media group. When we look at the intersection of content, there are ways not just to scale our, our, our content development through both series, documentaries, and NFTs, uh, but we're finding ways to, to intersect them. So we already have a documentary series coming out in the fall 
with the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, Legends. I believe that drops in um, in November. It will be on um, TSN in Canada. And so we're celebrating these legendary players from, they were inducted from 2000 to 2020. I believe there's 73 of them. And so as we lead into that, we are excited to also work with the Hall of Fame with our NFT part of our business. And so looking at how we parallelize or or work on these two initiatives together, we can kind of scale our message, we can scale our audience, and we can reach out to hockey fans, certainly all over Canada, but all over the world in two different mediums. And so I think there's synergies between the two, but it really, you know, NFTs allow us to celebrate these legendary players. It will allow us to celebrate and educate the world about what's inside the walls of the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, because they are stewards of, of a priceless collection of hockey memorabilia. So, you know, look for us to utilize that in digital formats. And then they have a vast collection of uh, video photography, again, that predates uh, organized leagues and teams. So there's a huge opportunity there. We're so excited. Uh, but uh, more details of that project will uh, will roll out likely um, mid to late summer. I know there's 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 obviously a lot that you're that you can't talk about, but from from the perspective of the kind of things that you could be working on, I mean, really, you can only speak generically now. Is there is there sort of an element of versatility in in what the NFTs you are producing could offer? So, with the Hockey Hall of Fame, obviously, it's it's almost like um there's a souvenir element to it there um, for people who don't have the opportunity to go and see it for themselves. But I've noticed with some other areas of the, of the market, um, again, talking about sports NFTs, some organizations are looking at providing fans with you know, better access or providing them with some level of decision making in, in, in a particular club. Um, there's, a, there's like a utility element there as well. Is, is that something that you could see potentially with other future projects coming out? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, that's a great, uh, it's a great lead in because, you know, in this one too, I want to zoom you back to the internet, right? Early, early internet, um, early internet was about consumption, right? It was read. Uh, we read things uh, and it provided a digital medium to do so. Web two, you know, talking about web one, web two allowed us to read and write. So we get into social media, contributions, peer-to-peer. It became more of a communication loop um, and that enabled so much more. When we talk about Web3, largely, all we're doing is we're adding a layer of ownership into that read-write communication. So I, I really put the current NFT market in kind of the you know Web3 type comparison. Right now, we're just having fun with digital art and, you know, JPEGs of uh, funny monkeys, and and it's an experiment. But that's just a JPEG. Now think about attaching NFTs as digital property ownership to all types of media, right? So music and video in you know gaming. Let's talk about video gaming. There are three point two five billion gamers in the world. The entire gaming market is greater than movie and TV combined. So when we have this kind of global adoption, 
these games are digital interactions. So when we start assigning ownership of, call it skins on guns or clothing, but then we get into land title in things like the metaverse, rent and ownership of buildings and billboards, right? So we we see a future where I think the world's not going to rely on Mark Zuckerberg to uh, govern the ownership of everyone's scarce and valuable digital assets. Um, so now we have this new layer that enables people to do that. So with the current NFT market, I think is still sort of analog. We're, we're buying and selling fun pictures. We're going to see verticals really take off. So we are exploring a very large um, uh, gaming uh, opportunity uh, with, you know, with a Hollywood uh, studio and a title working on a number of those opportunities and and it fits into it fits into our network of people that we already work with it fits into our um our sort of distribution in terms of rollouts and then the other is with these you know you hear this term metaverse which is kind of generic and everyone has their own interpretation but a lot of our partners are in the entertainment world uh, or in fashion and so we've had a lot of interest uh, around uh, engagements inside of metaverse uh, or storefronts, events, and working through document uh, documentaries with this this talent. And it's sort of you know they bring up, oh, I heard you guys are working on NFTs. Like, how can we collaborate? So that that pipeline of opportunities that we see through network entertainment, there's flowing my way. In, in all of the ways that we can help them with NFTs. So look for us to utilize NFTs more for utility, right? It unlocks keys, things like tickets, things like um, sort of access. You know, we're seeing that at the French Open, Roland Garros is selling NFTs based on their seats. It's going to allow users to unlock um, virtual worlds and merchandise and behind the ropes access. Um, so we're excited about those those as well. Um, and then, you know, I think a few more years out, we're going to see democ democratization of industries like music and uh, like media production. So don't be surprised when, uh, when music becomes fractionalized uh, and sold peer to peer, uh, where royalties flow back to the NFT owners and not just, you know, agents and studios in Hollywood. And look for royalty contracts to be moved from PDFs and inboxes to blockchains, uh, where digital consumption can be measured and metered and monetized in real time. And uh, well, I was having a conversation actually earlier today with the uh, co-owner of a London art gallery that has started offering NFTs. One of the interesting parts of the conversation was the owners of NFTs would you expect them to be more collectors? So someone who buys the NFT with a view to just owning it indefinitely because like you would collect a piece of sports memorabilia, for example, or do you anticipate there will be active investors and traders of NFTs that you might offer because they can see where there's potential for some, some price appreciation. Just do you see the market leaning one way or the other? That's, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. The advent of, of of any technology, right? Be it be it forums for information sharing, or selling things online, or streaming. I mean, it's 
we we do see early early innovators using it for strange and nefarious activities, right? And 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 NFTs are are, are no different. Early applications, we do see a lot of you know exploitation and and sometimes fraud, and you know you couple that with you know the utilization of cryptocurrency allows for value to flow so quickly across the world, across borders. Largely, that's a good thing, but it can also lead to very fast money moving uh, with without the right intentions. And so we're, we're seeing a lot of that, no doubt. And we're not going to you know shy away from that. So the early adopters, they're tech forward, they're nimble, they have capital. If you think about all the Robinhood traders with GameStop and AMC, I mean, they're they're making big bets on, you know, culturally fun yet speculative uh, opportunities. That's totally going to change. It's absolutely going to change. The next iteration, I think, is most prominent within sports NFTs. Um, so the next level we get into professionals, tech enabled, but through their Venmo and PayPal accounts, culturally driven to uh, sports as fans, but now they can merge their passion with their capital. So we're seeing this expand to call it 18 to 30 year old, uh, high to middle to high income um, stock traders, but sports fans. And we're onboarding them with credit cards now and using traditional like KYC channels uh, with, you know, within regulated venues. So we're seeing regulation, we're seeing expansion, but to make this not just a narrative, but an actual history, it will hit the mainstream, right? So what are the mainstream? Where's the mainstream adoption? On Twitter, my profile picture is verified by Twitter as an authentic NFT. That's a service that they've rolled out. Okay, fine. Instagram is now allowing content creators to monetize their beautiful images or art through NFTs because that's just another channel where they can you know, capture, capture rents as well, but that's happening already. And then we're, um, you know, Robinhood is known to be in development of a NFT wallet to support ownership of that. So as all of this infrastructure starts to improve and make it easier, we're going to see mass adoption. And that's going to be in Facebook accounts and in you know, YouTube monetization. Spotify has also announced that they're looking into not just royalties, but, you know, fractionalization of music. So it's, it's already happening. What we need is we need, uh, we do need a better connection between, oddly enough, tech companies and banks, because we need people to have easy funding sources. It doesn't have to be crypto, but we also need access to these, uh, these content channels and where art lives and where creators thrive. That does sound fascinating to me. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we're looking at a market that's going to be, even in 12 to 18 months from now, a lot more mature, a lot more sophisticated and a lot a lot bigger as well. But um, no, thank you very much indeed for that, Tom. That's been, that's been really illuminating. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff you aren't able to talk about right now, but I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll come on the podcast again and uh, a few months down the road and just give us a little bit more of an update about what's happening over at Network Entertainment as well. Thanks, Stuart.
You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.